You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm very happy to report that finally there is some test cricket going on around the world and uh, West Indies have played England in England at Southampton. So we have a lot of things to talk about in this episode. So let me welcome my co-host Ajit so we can get right down to it. Hello Ajit. How are you doing, man? Hi, Giri. So indeed, I'm uh, very excited. We have uh, test cricket returning. So it's a big deal, right? So we've waited long enough. And what a return to test cricket it was, right? Did you see all the tributes that flowed out from uh, President of MCC, Mr. Sangakara down, all the way down? No, unfortunately, I missed that part. No, I didn't. Okay. Well, I mean, all the, let's say, prominent uh, today's and yesteryear's cricketers had something mm-hmm. positive to say. Okay. That Test cricket had to make a comeback and this was an ideal game. It would remain in people's minds for a long time. Because, mm-hmm. first of all, it's coming back after a break. But more importantly, it was a very exciting test that uh, ended in the last session. Right? And um, as so, so as we say, the underdog happened uh, to win as well. Right? So, that was yeah. very nice. Well, I think underdog is... We, we have to stop using the term with uh, West Indies. They already showed mm-hmm. their potential last year when England toured the Caribbean. We saw right. some very fantastic uh, test matches back then. Uh, and we were... Uh, at least I was not surprised. I had some doubts about their batting lineup mm-hmm. uh, because they were missing out... Uh, I think they were missing Dwayne Bravo and then uh, Hetmeyer, right? So these two guys opted not to tour. Mm-hmm. But I think the replacements did quite well, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that. Uh, would you like to uh, run through the scoreboard? A quick summary? Sure. A, it was a very, let's say, an entertaining test, given that the first two days had hardly, you know, um, about 100 hours of play. Mm-hmm. Right? Second day was more or less full, but first day was hardly 17 hours. So that was fantastic. So first of all, England won the toss and chose to bat. It was, let's say, a courageous decision on Stokes' behalf, who was leading England for the first time. And, uh, you know, they totaled 204. It, it sort of appears a bit under par. Stokes himself made uh, the highest score of the innings, 43. Rory Burns made a very valuable 30. And then Joe Denley, well, we'll get to Joe Denley later, I'm sure, but he made 18. And then with the rest of the top order failing, um, Josh Butler made 35 and Dom Best 31. And that made sure England at least crossed the, you know, the psychological mark of 200. Mm. So when it came to West Indies, I think they'll be very happy that they chose uh, Gabriel back in the main squad. And he proved to be the man of the match, of course, with four in the first innings and five in the second. So he led the way in the initial stages, but then uh, the skipper Jason Holder took over, you know. Um, he had said this in his... Um, now, before the tour started as one of his ambitions, a 5-4 and a 100. So, the 5-4 is done. So, <laughs> he took a 6-4 already in the very first bowling innings. Mm. So, you know, this 200 was only slightly below par because the conditions were still bowler-friendly. But then a lot of credit goes to the way West Indian top order started with, uh, you know, good contributions right down the order. Brathwaite top scored with 65. But then Roston Chase, who batted very patiently for three and a half hours or so, for his 47. Shamar Brooks made an adventure of 39. And then Dovrich, I think I would like to single him out specifically for the first innings. 
uh, where West Indies got to was purely due to him because he held also a bit of the lower order together so that they were able to get to 318. The 114 lead in such a test, a truncated test where you will expect that the last two days will get faster, uh, they they made it count. So at least initially, the English top order was really, really good. So Rory Burns made 42, Sibley 50. So they kept the fast bowlers out for 36 overs by themselves. And you can see that there were no clutter of wickets. So that meant even though Denley made 29, I think he did all right in the second innings. And Crawley 76, Stokes 46. And then unfortunately, the lower and the middle orders could not really kick on. Otherwise, at, you know, um, 3 for 249, West Indies were sort of looking down the barrel. I mean, there was a chance the result could have been reversed or maybe they would have been forced to battle out for a draw. But that really didn't happen thanks to another stellar burst by Shannon Gabriel, who took, in this case, only three wickets that evening. But then he came back on the final morning to finish England tail off. Archer swung a little to score 23. That um, ensured that, you know, uh, they would require an even 200 to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the last innings, I think we'll go into the last day in a bit more detail. But the way Archer bowled, this was like vintage, vintage cricket. West Indies were really reeling, right? So they were uh, 3 for 27 when Hope was dismissed. Mm-hmm. And it looked like maybe England were going to go through and win the game. So at this stage, again, um, Roston Chase and uh, in this case, uh, Jermaine Blackwood. Uh, stood their ground, they mixed caution with aggression, mm. right? And they took the score to 100 before Chase was out. Still, there was, you know, some chance there were only two or three recognized batsmen left. But then, in steps your uh, Shane Dowrich, mm-hmm. you know, he's diminutive but very combative and he scored a very pivotal 20. And then that ensured, because Blackwood was going very smoothly on the other end, that ensured that the runs kept coming and by the time Dowrich was dismissed for 168, at least the score on 168, it was more or less certain that West Indies would cross the line. What remained was, well, whether Blackwood would finish his 100. Unfortunately, he threw it away with about mm-hmm. 11 runs left. One of the openers were to retire hurt, right, Campbell. He came back out and along with the skipper, led West Indies across the line. So, all in all, for a game that is making a comeback, so to say, you can really be happy that the game almost went into the last half an hour and there was a positive result. It was not going to be a draw. Right, Giri? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so, the very fact that when we start, when the cricket season started in England, we lost a considerable amount of time on the first day due to rain. So, so that was not a surprise. But I think we we had waited long enough, like four months for test cricket. So, we could wait another day or a few more hours, I think. So And... Uh, and I was actually surprised that uh, Ben Stokes decided that they were going to have a bat first. It's a courageous de- uh, decision befitting, of course, Ben Stokes, uh, the way uh, he he plays the game anyway. And uh, to be really honest, I thought uh, the 200 that England made was pretty much on par. I mean, you said it may have been a little bit under par, but I thought it was a very good score. And knowing that England had such a fantastic fast bowling lineup, uh, so they had James Anderson, they had uh, Jofra Archer, they had Mark Wood, and of course Ben Stokes himself, uh, capable of bowling uh, pretty good uh, uh, fast bowling. Uh, and then they also had the spinner in Dombes. But you know, I think this was a discussion point even before the match started. I think there was a lot of coverage in the media as well uh, that Stuart Broad would be left out of the playing eleven. Uh, there was a prediction that he would sit out. And that was indeed the case in the end. So they opted for additional pace with uh, Mark Wood. Uh, and I was actually baffled by this decision. I thought James Anderson and Stuart Brock 
they have had a fantastic bowling partnership all these years and they've played claimed i think together they must have been 400 wickets together i don't know how how, how much uh, it adds up to in the end um and the other point i saw was jofra archer was coming back from i think stress fracture in his arm if i remember it right uh and uh, jimmy anderson had an injury i think he had a fielding injury last time uh, last time around so he was returning from injury and mark wood has that mm-hmm. uh, has that uh, ankle issue that has held him back all these years so there was some vulnerability there in that bowling lineup so i was actually surprised that stuart broad i think was one of the fitter players fitter bowlers and he he has a very good bowling action so he doesn't spend a lot of energy uh, doing that but extremely skilled so i was surprised that he sat out but in the end i think that may have made a difference because uh, while mark wood and jofra archer bowled pretty fast and they didn't concede a lot of runs when west indies came out to bat uh, they were very good initially of course uh, but i think it it became pretty much predictable i think you also mentioned this to me off air that mark wood has a lot of pace he has a vicious bouncer but the batsman can read him right so unlike jofra archer jofra archer is is much more incisive uh, in the way he bowls and the the fourth innings uh, he in, in the west indies fourth innings when he came out to bowl i think he showed us all what he's capable of uh, was such a hostile sp- spell of fast, fast bowling i think it dare i say it even reminded me of alan donald against uh, uh, who was that guy michael atherton Atherton, Atherton, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of Yorkers, uh, very quick bouncers, and the, I think the bouncer that Joe Archer bowls, uh, there was I think even a very um, detailed analysis probably done by Michael Holding uh, during the commentary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he said Joe Archer's action is in his bowling action is such that you know you, you think the ball is going away, but the act the ball is actually coming in. So, and when the ball hits you, it's try he tries to hit you in the uh, how do you say, um, just around the shoulder or just below the shoulder, in fact, on your chest, on the when you're, mm-hmm. if you're a right-handed batsman, of course. And that's a very awkward position to be in as a batsman because you kind of uh, lose sight of the ball very quickly uh, and uh, you can get hit. And that's what happened with uh, Dowrich. I think Shane Dowrich got hit a few times. And lucky for him, he survived that spell. And then in the end, I think, Blackwood uh, made a huge difference there. Uh, he was, I think, he was counter-attacking. The way I saw uh, Jermaine Blackwood play, I think it was that was the only pr- approach that was possible. If they had simply mm-hmm. batted it out, you know, trying to absorb the pressure and uh, uh, and hope that the bowlers break down in the end, it was not going to happen. I think, I think West Indies adopted the right approach uh, to sum it up uh, in the fourth innings. Uh, they had a mix of aggression as well as. Uh, the resilience that you know somebody like Roston Chase uh, produces, but apart from that, I think they did the right thing uh, and a fantastic inclusion uh, in the name of Blackwood. I think he was out of the squad, and then thanks to Hetmeyer and uh, Bravo for sitting this out because we got to see him again after many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, well done to West Indies. I think this was. I for one am very happy when West Indies win, and I'm happier still. Right when we have so many fantastic fast bowlers operating in tandem. And uh, I hope that this continues uh, on in the next match as well, which is going to start on the on Thursday, I believe. So 16th, yeah. Before we sort of move away from the first game, uh, just a couple of more points. So first of all, uh, one other spell I would like to mention was a very 
good spell by Ben Stokes. He took a 4-4 yeah. for England in the first innings. Well, that was a very important spell because in that spell, he sort of uh, broke through uh, Shane Dowrich and sort of Jason Holder and then Alzari Joseph because uh, there was also a chance the lead from West Indies could have grown a bit more. Mm. You know, a 110-114 run lead is already very tough. But then if it had crossed 150 mark, you could have been sure West Indies would have tried to maybe bat only once. Then all the pressure would have been shifting uh, back on English uh, batting lineup. So mm. there, I think Ben Stokes, again, the, you know, let's say the mercurial character he is. He came through with his bowling. He lifted his squad there. As a captain, that was a very good performance. You know, um, what do you think of Stokes' captaincy? Uh, do you think he measured up to the job? It is his first test and a lot of variables were involved. We don't need to go into those. Mm-hmm. But what do you think, Kiri? Well, I think he did well for uh, a guy who was captaining his side for the first time. And he, I think he, as a, as a character, he already gels the team very well. I think he is a bit of a bonding character. And I think he is also a people's mm-hmm. man. So he's not like somebody who does things for himself and then dictates things to his teammates as to how they need to do or what they have to do to be successful. But he's one of those guys who is always involved in everything that happens on the cricket field. And I also noticed an occasion where he was actually reaching out to James Anderson, the senior pro, uh, for advice when it came mm-hmm. to uh, uh, the bowling uh, aspect of it. So he was bowling, but he was seeking advice from James Anderson. And this is a guy who is always trying to learn from the best there out there. So he's very humble, I think. Uh, he's aggressive, of course, but he's also very humble. He knows his limitations and he's one guy who is going to try and improve a lot. And I think this might actually right. do wonders for England. And uh, I say this because Joe Root is going to come back in the next match. Uh, congratulations to him mm-hmm. on the birth of his second child. Uh, so he's going to make a comeback. Right. And I think he must be given an extended run. Maybe after this series, he should be given more opportunities, Ben Stokes. I see him as a natural mm-hmm. uh, uh, captain. And Joe Root might actually come back to his uh, best when it comes to his batting. So that we might see that happen. And Joe Root's, Joe Root's batting is actually suffering a little bit. So so that might release him from the shackles. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Indeed. No, that'll, that'll probably be a good thing. I mean, in the long run, England can definitely use Joe Root, the batter, as well and if there are any any you know indications that his captaincy might weigh him weigh heavily on him there there are already talk of somebody like josh butler taking over if required and so on so ben stokes has also put his hat into the ring he might be one of those candidates so i mean look uh, john buchanan who was then the coach of Kolkata united has actually already sort of tried this out it may come to it that there may not be one captain on a cricket team but maybe a leadership group where the captaincy sort of rotated between them based on how the how the let's say how they're performing and how you know their roles might get uh, impacted so i think somebody like dravid also spoke about it when he was a captain it sort of consumed him and um, he realized you know his uh, contributions from with the bat were equally important so anyway uh, that's one point the other one before we move away the blm that's currently going on. That was that was very poignant to see. Also, the words that uh, Michael Holding spoke, Giri, if you remember before the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was quite moving. I remember that I saw mm. it off off air, but uh, it was fantastic. I think he summed it up very nicely. Indeed. Look, um, somebody usually showing this sort of it it would, it would even be termed dissent earlier, but now it is sort of accepted and every player did it. It was not just the West Indian players or something. And West Indian players did the black power salute that was done in the Olympics back in the day. But, um, you know, that shows that we are united 
uh, and cricket also has taken a big step we also hear about you know um, lungi engedi's posts about blm and then how you know initially csa was not happy about it but then and we now see more than 35 cricketers have come out uh, both former and current cricketers who have come out to support him you know that's a very good thing so this is a good thing to see that you know doesn't matter who is in um, let's say who are the administrators and so on it's time that players who are you know on the field recognize it and then eventually um, in every level of the game this will also then slowly make its way that there should be yeah. quality and you know and yeah. what holding says will stay with us for a while it was so poignant the message he delivered probably you know yeah. i think michael one tweeted saying that was his best delivery in his career <laughs> so, uh, it very it well was off the field, field yeah Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Now then, there so, was another tribute I would like to mention. I think Josh Butler was uh, carrying a bat which had the NHS logo on it. You remember that? Ah, ah, Also yes, thanking yes. Uh, the medical professionals or the people in the medical profession, indeed, uh, for all their help uh, in uh, fighting the COVID nineteen um, crisis indeed. at the moment. So that's that was also very moving uh, to see that. Although yes. he didn't do well, so well, uh, he didn't oh. do so well with his bat, but. I think uh, it was good to see that. Indeed, now the very fact that it came out and people are able to talk about it—that that is the victory there, right? Yeah. So that's very good. And uh, okay, so moving on, we've sort of shadowed the West Indies. I think there will be no change in the squad, but when it comes to England, so probably Joe Root is expected to come back in place of, uh, you know, uh, Denley. Is this is this the end for Denley? Do you think in tests? I well, he must be hoping it's not. but i mm. think uh, the writing is probably on the wall for him mm. he had a couple mm. of starts and being the senior pro that he is with wealth of with a wealth of, wealth of experience and on mm. the wrong side of 35 right. almost right. so i think it's probably time to um yeah say goodbye to his england career uh, i think zack crawley i think he it uh, zack crawley is his uh, kent teammate mm-hmm. uh, so it would be either denley or crawley who would have to make way for jorut and mm-hmm. i have a feeling it will be jordan lee on this occasion all the others i think did well to be honest the new uh, opening partnership between uh, rory burns and uh, dom sibley that also worked well so mm-hmm. yeah and unfortunately denley doesn't even have uh, a century to his name i think the highest he has is at 90 odd runs uh, which mm-hmm. he scored last year um, so yeah so and uh, this is probably the end of the road yeah i th- i think for now th- this is it i would say you're absolutely right let's see how that mm-hmm. goes um that's one thing then yeah as we discussed probably broad will slot back in and in i think i would say mark wood would be a bit unfortunate to miss out but it makes sense that uh, broad be brought back in yeah yeah absolutely i think mark wood needs to be rested he cannot play every single test yeah he has that action which is yeah which can cause a lot of injury mm-hmm. unfortunately so he has to be managed and so I mean, I think Jofra Archer also needs to be managed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they need to see how many overs he's been bowling. I, I, let me take a look at how many overs he's bowled in this match. And I think the first innings he bowled something like 22 overs, and in the fourth innings he also bowled about 17 overs. So it's about 40 overs in a match. Hmm. We have to see. It's it's still a bit too much. So okay. they have to share the load, in my opinion. No, great. Let's see. I mean, I think they will be. watching archer more case uh, carefully as well but yeah. wood is a known candidate they'll probably definitely want him to rest in the second test so all in all it's going to be a very you know exciting test west indies on the up 
but you know their coach was uh, advising them against feeling complacent because old trafford is a different ball game altogether you know it supports the bat and the ball equally well so let's see how you know that goes and uh, yeah maybe at the end of the second test we can go through it again yeah yeah okay now then moving on let's look at some of the let's say off field news as well as some covid related news right so pakistan squad that had uh, some players that had tested false positives let's say so they have been allowed to join the squad back so mohammad afi shadab khan wahab riaz right fakhar zaman mohammad hasnain mohammad rizwan all of these were retested and they are now back in um, england they are with the rest of the squad so it's a 26 strong squad that pakistan have right and uh, i think it's a good thing that uh, they will have all of these players to pick from so it's a three test in the three t20 series so we wish them all the best it's going to be again uh, another very fast bowling heavy lineup so something uh, to always look forward to when pakistan tour abroad then um yeah so an interesting news uh, in between all the let's say missed cricket Sri Lankan cricket board wants to make up a bit of the revenue. So it has come to light they are looking to start a T20 league because some of their international tours have been cancelled. With all the um, cancellations coming through, Australia-Zimbabwe ODA series in August was also postponed. So with so many cricket missing out, so uh, many boards are feeling the pinch financially. So Sri Lankan cricket is really thinking they can probably uh, come up with a T20 tournament, something like a Premier League with the uh, you know, it's still being drafted and we don't know if it will actually go ahead because they don't have a clearance from the government. Sri Lanka is one of the, let's say, lesser affected countries in South Asia. We know how bad it is in India and Pakistan and even to an extent Bangladesh. So here, this was one of the, let's say, interesting news because we also hear Asia Cup has been postponed. So, Giri, <laughs> did you see this that, um, you know, Ganguly gave a statement on Instagram in an interview and then PCB rebutted it and then the next day there came an official statement from the Asian Cricket Council. So, did you follow all this uh, drama that happened? It was a very short-lived drama, but did you get a chance to follow it? No, no, no. I'm. <laughs> I don't have time for all that. Sorry, but I just try to read the news at the end of the day, not right. Follow everything that Ganguly does. Although I'm his fan, but I don't follow him everywhere. <laughs> right. Well, that's probably the right uh, approach. And this was a very short-lived uh, storm, as they say, a storm in a teacup. But in all, Ganguly came out in an interview. I, I think I would say his his words were a bit unjust. There was no mention of any official communication. He just said it is cancelled. And that was a full 24 hours before the official announcement was due. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so Pakistan Cricket Board immediately reported it, saying he's not a member of the ACC. The president of the ACC should announce this. His words have no effect, so on. But then it turned out this was the decision was indeed taken apparently behind the scenes. It's, it's a bit weird that if Sri Lanka were to host the uh, Asia Cup, it is a bit weird to see that they can do a Premier League or India is considering hosting a IPL. But maybe there are some other constraints do you think to take this decision at all because it looks like maybe it's a normal thing to try and uh, host the asia cup under closed doors Kire. well i think it's it's still difficult when was the asia uh, asia cup planned wasn't it in august or september 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 yeah september yeah i think because uh, of the situation right now in india it's very difficult to say mm. uh, we have i think we are approaching 1 million cases in india and that mm-hmm. will probably have had an impact on it. And we still don't know. We don't have end in, end goal in sight. Not end goal, but we don't know when this will all end or when this will come under control a little bit. But uh, it is probably the right thing to do uh, to cancel it. And 
if they were to play asia cup you know pakistan would have to travel back from england mm-hmm. uh, right so they are now going to play against england uh, next month right. and they would come back so they would also be in quarantine and yeah do you have to be in quarantine in pakistan or do you have do you come to india and then be here in quarantine no no so, no the asia cup was supposed to be held by pakistan so india had proposed that it be held in a neutral country like uae where all countries can participate right right and then right. there came the news that you know uh, maybe it is going to be held in sri lanka because it has lesser uh, lesser cases and looks a bit more safe but yeah. then finally it has been cancelled so this was the whole route so all in all there, there seems to be some other machinations going on in the back let's just put it like that let's let's yeah let's not worry about that we'll just focus <laughs> on the <laughs> on the decision that has been taken and then uh, mm-hmm. move further i guess right now you know some of, some of the officials in bcci seem to be a bit miffed with icc that they're continuing to postpone the decision on the world cup the world cup t20 yeah. which more or less now looks to be cancelled but it has not been officially communicated as such right so this has left a bit of a sore uh, taste in the bcci officials mouth so uh, one of the officials has said that they will they will probably have to look to see their own planning they'll have to mm. look to see if they can do their own planning and not worry about the rest of the world so to say right right so this is one of the one of the things that have come out let's see how that uh, how that affects because in a sense that more or less means maybe india is still planning to hold an ipl behind closed doors right so Yeah. this brings to a very sharp focus whether it will be an ipl with indian players only foreign players will come what about the venues what about um, the quarantine period so quite a lot of questions will come up but i think they are already they already have been planning for quite a long time anticipating this sort of a situation so what remains to be seen is let's see how that uh, yeah. dates for ipl will come what do you think well uh, for me it's too early to say uh, mm. I think we have to wait and see what happens. Uh, and mm-hmm. we were just lucky that there is some cricket being played at the moment. That's the test cricket in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will probably see what happens afterwards. Uh, I think they they will have their reasons to take that decision. But let's wait. Mm-hmm. I think we have waited long enough. So we are probably getting used <laughs> to this waiting. So, right. So let's continue with what we are doing <laughs> at the moment. Clear, clear. all right but let's let's okay let's say let's watch this space that makes a lot more sense now moving on there is a bit of an unfortunate news kusal mendes the very um, talented sri lankan cricketer was involved in a fatal accident and then he has been released back out on bail so you know this sort of puts a pause in his career we are really we are really hoping it doesn't uh, you know cause a very big uh, very big gap for him because he's such a talented player and has represented sri lanka in all the three formats Uh, but what remains to be seen is yeah how it goes because um, indeed uh, he was involved in a fatal accident and another sri lankan cricketer was also in the same car so they have taken the statements of both these players avishka fernando was the other cricketer right mm-hmm. so and it happened at a very early hour 5 am on a sunday and uh, he was coming back from a wedding so we don't know we don't know any more details but all we know is he's been released out back on bail and uh, let's see so this is unfortunately a bit of a dampener um given all the positive things you have spoken today uh, uh so if you were to bounce right back up you know uh claire conner has been uh, nominated to become the first woman mcc president in 2021 so finally the old guard is changing giri so we had our first non english president right and mm-hmm. now you have the first woman president of the mcc so is this is this uh, you know going in the right direction for you given all the awareness that's coming through yeah times are changing so probably mm. in the right direction i think 
it's it's good to see that uh, uh, mm. we have better representation from all walks of life right and all parts of the world uh, be uh, and not specifically uh, you know limited limited to an elite group of people so it's it's good that we see mm. this uh, happening at the top level mcc is of course mm. the organization which frames the laws of cricket right so it's good right. to see that yeah all right another uh, another interesting uh, point to discuss uh, you know mark taylor mark w taylor the former australian cricket captain has raised the prospect of a boxing day test outside of mcg kiri because of uh, melbourne being the most you know impacted city when it comes to covid right mm-hmm. and uh, we don't know where or we don't know how things will be come 6 months down the line or 5 months down the line where india will be in australia hopefully and there'll be tests going on so the sort of a calendar uh, fixture that it has been the boxing day test in mcg there is talk that you know he's not the only cricketer there have been some other cricketers and some other administrators who sort of come out and spoken about it as well right do you think it's a good idea if this remains the case that instead of a reduced capacity in a place like melbourne what if we would it were to be shifted to perth where there's a capacity of 60k or adelaide over where there's even you know about 50000 but even with reduced capacity that will mean quite a lot so would you go for a full crowd or a, at least a relatively full crowd stadium to play or would you say no it should be played behind closed doors see we're still getting used to having cricket behind closed mm-hmm. doors and the first test match that happened between england and west indies we saw that it was an eerily different atmosphere Uh, mm-hmm. the players were not getting the feedback from the crowd and i saw that you know the players were behaving differently than they would they they didn't get the additional motivation the 12th man as i say mm-hmm. would bring in mm-hmm. um so we might have to get used to this for the time being i think this will be the um, this will be the way forward until there is a vaccine for covid-19 and then we get some sort of control over the whole situation mm-hmm. and December the 26th the boxing day test match we have another five and a bit months to go it's too early to say for me like i said we don't even know what's going to happen in october mm. <laughs> with the world t20 and it's very difficult to say at the moment if they have to you know hold it behind closed doors fair enough but that's mm-hmm. that's something we have to look at in the future i mean it's i can i cannot say that we'll not have that mm. uh, whether it's going to happen in perth or sydney wherever doesn't matter so the whole point right. is uh, we have to get used to the concept of be play, playing cricket behind closed doors number one and number mm-hmm. two we also have to face um we may have to face a situation that um cricket may not be played at all until the right. end of the year and mm-hmm. you know as you know in melbourne victoria uh, the state of victoria they have imposed uh, a lockdown uh, mm. around the province so there is no um you know leaving the country leaving the state or leaving your homes or anything like that and we right. don't know what will be the case you know just this morning i was uh, reading on bbc news that mm-hmm. uh, during the winter months especially in the northern hemisphere or right. western hemisphere um mm-hmm. because of the cold climate they expect that the the coronavirus uh, will become more rampant so they're expecting mm. a big next wave in the winter months and if that's the case i don't know how many teams will actually want to travel around the world they all might want oh. to uh, stay safe wherever they are and i, I know uh, in australia it's summer but uh, still it's something to think about very relevant point i would say i agree yeah. with you there yeah so 
We don't know uh, until we have a vaccine. Of course, there are some, there is some progress on the vaccine scene. So there are, I think, mm-hmm. three vaccines which are uh, in the efficacy trials. So we have thousands of people involved in trials for three vaccines. One of mm-hmm. them uh, in UK, another one, I think, in China, and the mm-hmm. last one in Australia. Uh, but mm-hmm. these are still early days. So even if they were to succeed in these uh, trials and then they notice that the vaccine is working to some extent, it's mm-hmm. still a long process before they can manufacture it on a large scale. So there's so many factors here. I, and I, I, I know what, you, what you're saying. Boxing Day Test Match is one of the most important events in a cricketing calendar, especially in Australian summer. Mm-hmm. But we have to, we have to be uh, aware of the fact that this may not even happen. So there's every possibility there. So let's just wait and see what happens. Too early to say. All right. Yeah, let's see how... Uh... If the situation were to develop in any way, we'll keep our eyes on it. Let's see how that goes. Well, a couple of other quick cricketing updates. So one is that Nitin Menon from India has been promoted to the elite umpire's panel in place of Nigel Long. Dave Cameron, the former WICB chairman, the ousted WICB chairman, is still interested in a sort of a administrative role and he has put himself forward as the possible ICC chairman. So here, you know, uh, it has come to uh, notice that he's been trying to canvas, let's say, PCB, CSA, some of the other boards to see if they can support him. It has recently been also, uh, there's a change in ICC constitution and this uh, rotating nature of the ICC chairmanship has been removed, Mm. right? Why I'm saying these two things, I'll connect them. That one, currently the outgoing chairman was Shashank Manohar, Mm -hmm. right? Who was supposedly representing India. Right. He was sort of appointed in a neutral way, but uh, he had two terms, but still officially he can be considered to be representing India. Right. Mm-hmm. That way, if you look at it with the rotation being removed, then in comes the question whether somebody like Ganguly might throw his hat into the ring, Giri. Do you think Ganguly would uh, want to be the next ICC chairman? Uh, not yet. I don't think so. I think he still has some unfinished business in BCCI and he we haven't been able to see him uh, uh, you know, <laughs> mm. perform his role to the fullest of his ability. We have had mm. a curtailed cricketing season, and it's he it was he was only to be here for a few months, but now that's going to extend. Mm. So we have to see in the post-COVID situation uh, how things develop, and then maybe with some experience within BCCI, I think he's better equipped to uh, to uh, move on to a role in ICC afterwards. But I think for now, yeah, mm-hmm. I I don't consider Ganguly a front runner. Interesting. So, by you know, by custom, the English uh, representative is the one that uh, is supposed to have gotten his chance. So, let's see if they go by that, if they go by custom, or if they you know there are any last-minute uh, surprises thrown. Mm-hmm. So, something for us to look as well. Yeah. All right. That brings to a close all the um, news that we wanted to discuss for this episode. Now, when it comes to trivia question. So the trivia question from previous episode was uh, how many wickets did Rajinder Goel take, right? So we did not have any correct guesses. So the answer is 637. Those are the number of wickets that Rajinder Goel took in Ranji Trophy matches, right? So now, um, when it comes to, you know, MCG, we already discussed, there is a tradition. So today's question is related to this exact tradition. So when was the first Boxing Day test held at the MCG? When did this tradition actually begin of MCG hosting the Boxing Day Test? So do write in to us with your answers. Right, You could get in touch with us at Armchair Report on Twitter, especially with the matches going on. We will be online and we will be tweeting out some thoughts 
right? You can always interact with us there. Or you could write into us via mail, armchair.cricket at gmail.com. You could also leave it as a comment on any of the podcasting apps you use to listen to us. And please do, you know, write and please uh, do make your presence felt. It gives us a nice flip. Having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.